the FemPlus podcast. FemPlus Clinic, the specialized medical service that looks after every aspect of women's healthcare. Hello and welcome to FemPlus podcast. I'm Dr. Rita Galimberti and today I have a guest speaker to discuss blood problems in women. My guest is Dr. Susanna Sullivan, who is a long-term colleague of mine. She's a consultant in obstetric and gynecology and at the University Hospital in Cork. And she is also a specialist in neurogynecology. And for the people who don't know what that is, this is a special area of gynecology that looks after all pelvic floor problems and bladder problems in women. So Suzanne, thanks very much for helping me recording this podcast. So I suppose we start with the basic. Can you tell us what is urinary incontinence and how do you know if you have it or not? Thank you for having me, Rita. It's great to talk to you again. So I suppose urinary incontinence is a symptom and it's defined as involuntary or unintentional loss of urine, um, which equates to leakage or incontinence episodes, and they're often referred to as accidents by women. Uh, it's a problem that can creep up over time. It's quite common across all age groups, especially in postnatal women and after the menopause. And often women don't arrive until the problem has become so bad that it's impacting on daily activities or common activities of ordinary life. Um, so it's a common problem. And if you're having accidents or leakage episodes and wetting your underwear or wetting pads, that's essentially what incontinence is. And there are different types of it, isn't it? So can you tell us a little bit more about that? So there are two main types of urinary incontinence in women. Uh, and they're both quite different with different causation and different treatments. So I suppose on younger women, more commonly, the main type of continence we see is stress urinary incontinence. And this involves, again, involuntary or unintentional loss of urine on effort or exertion. So with sporting activities, with coughing or sneezing, and in severe cases, it can happen with something as basic as a laugh. The other main type of incontinence uh, we refer to as urge incontinence, which is a urinary accident or leakage associated with a sudden strong urge to urinate, which is difficult to delay. Um, now, this is part of a spectrum of what we call overactive bladder symptoms, which can range to just going to empty your bladder very frequently, uh, getting up frequently at night, having difficulty holding on. So you may not be incontinent as such with this problem, but you might have to run to the toilet all the time to having frequent incontinence episodes when the urge comes and not making it to the toilet on time and having accidents several times a day. So stress incontinence tends to be more common in premenopausal women, often postnatally. Urge incontinence tends to be more common in the postmenopausal age group. And about one third of the women who come to our clinics will have a combination of both. OK, and I, I very often see patients in the clinic who think they're incontinent because they feel wet after exercise and they come convinced to have stress incontinence. But that's not always the case, isn't it? So sometimes, again, and maybe as a reflection of the more open conversations we're having these days around incontinence and urinary problems, um, sometimes we will see patients who are young, fit, healthy, who haven't had pregnancies or haven't had vaginal deliveries of babies. And they come with quite a good history of having bladder leakage with exercise. And when we look at incontinence, taking a very clear history is very important. So somebody can come with... Uh, be feeling wet after exercise 
But what's very important is that they need to feel the, you know, be aware of the specific episode of incontinence. So if they're exercising and they just notice that their pads or underwear are damp afterwards, that's not necessarily incontinence. That's often a combination of sweat and vaginal discharge if somebody's doing a lot of high impact exercise, especially in warmer weather. If you are not feeling the specific episode of incontinence, so usually if somebody has an accident, they will know before they look whether it's a drop or two or whether they need to change their underwear or change their pads. They will feel that urine coming away at a very specific time. So if you're not specifically aware of incontinence episodes, you may not necessarily have stress incontinence. So it's just something to look out for. And because there are different types of incontinence and obviously they probably require different treatments, um, how do you know which one you have? Are there special tests that you need to know to find out? So I suppose from a woman's perspective or a sufferer's perspective, an incontinence episode, whatever causes it, is a distressing episode. It's not a nice thing to happen. And women don't really care whether they have stress or urge incontinence. So from a care provider's perspective, the history and examination is extremely important. So usually when you're taking this history all the time, you can elicit fairly clearly whether the predominant symptom is more stress incontinence or urge incontinence. So if you, uh, when you get the urge, have to drop everything and run and can't make it to the toilet on time, that's classical of urge incontinence. But if you have no problem holding on, but you get on a trampoline and you have an accident, that's more typical of stress incontinence. So a history is extremely important. Uh, basic clinical examination. So, you know, we want to make sure that there's nothing behind this problem, nothing concerning. So a pelvic examination to rule out pelvic masses to rule out significant prolapse. That's important. If there are uh, a lot of irritative bladder symptoms or overactive bladder symptoms, doing a urine, sending a urine specimen to the lab looking for infection can be very helpful because there might just be a low grade infection causing this problem and that's easily treatable. Uh, and if somebody has blood in the urine, that's a sort of a red flag symptom. So that's something that needs to be uh, dealt with urgently with an urgent specialist referral or if a lab specimen comes back showing microscopic blood in the specimen again that's important and needs to be investigated as a matter of urgency so history and examination is very important uh, urodynamics is a test that we often use but isn't necessary all the time and it's a it's a slightly invasive test done in a specialist center usually by a specialist nurse where a tiny tube is put into the bladder and a tube is put outside of the bladder, either into the vagina or the back passage, and the bladder is filled with water, and pressures are uh, taken off the bladder as it fills to see whether the bladder is contracting at the wrong time or whether the bladder is not contracting and the problem is more uh, likely to be stress incontinence. So there are specific tests that can be helpful uh, but are not necessary all the time because usually we know from a clear patient history what the, the most what, what the diagnosis is most likely to be and if they have mixed symptoms, we find out which is the most bothersome symptom and try and tackle that first uh, before uh, tackling uh, mixed symptoms altogether. Thanks. And I suppose that's really important. The women should know that it can be a sign of something more serious. So they should definitely come forward if they have the accidents. Absolutely. Um, let's say that you have been diagnosed with stress incontinence um, uh, and, and you have that. Uh, what do you do to treat that? So stress incontinence is usually caused by stretching or looseness of what is called the pubourethral ligament. And this is a ligament that supports the uh, urethra or bladder neck 
towards up towards the pubic bone. And when that gets loose, then stress incontinence occurs because the bladder neck slips down. So the mainstay of treatment for stress urinary incontinence as a first line is physiotherapy. Um, and it's very important if you're going for physiotherapy that it's with a specialist physiotherapist. So general physiotherapists don't have the training necessary to deal with this. So there are specialist women's health physiotherapists who are specially uh, trained, who need to do a vaginal examination and who will work on the muscle strength in the pelvic floor. And uh, the um, uh, Chartered Physiotherapist Society of Ireland is a good website to uh, approach if you want to find out who's uh, specifically trained in your area or your GP may be able to tell you that as well. So if physiotherapy doesn't work, then there are things like laser, which is a new emerging treatment uh, with with more and more uh, data supporting A, its safety, and B, its efficacy in the treatment for of stress incontinence. However, there's a bit of controversy around it because there are lots of different kinds of lasers. So when we talk about laser treatment for stress urinary incontinence, it needs to be with a specialist gynecologist. It needs to be an erbium laser. And there is a very specific program of treatment and settings for treatment that we know uh, very good, high-quality studies are showing to be safe and effective. So laser is... Uh, certainly something uh, that is going to be coming more used and uh, has very high safety and efficacy rates. And then we have surgery, which there has been some controversy around, especially with uh, transvaginal mesh and midurethral sling surgery. Uh, and surgery is absolutely an option. There are different kinds of operations, but any surgical intervention will have risks associated with it, um, as well as benefits. So what are the benefits of the laser over over the surgery? Is there any advantage in doing one or the other? So I suppose uh, the benefits are that it is extremely safe. Uh, No anaesthetic is required. It's a walk-in, walk-out procedure. It's well tolerated. There's no downtime, no time off work required. It can be done in a very short outpatient appointment. Um, And there's very little that can go wrong. And as I say, the results are very promising. However, it is not guaranteed to work. So it depends on the woman's connective tissue. It depends on the severity of their incontinence. So women with very severe stress incontinence are less likely to respond well to laser treatment. And it is also not permanent. So if it works well for women, they are likely to need top-up treatments every two, three, four years. There's emerging evidence of it. It's the efficacy in treating urinary tract infections and some other bladder symptoms. And I heard you talking once about shorts for exercise that women can use. There are some very exciting things available out there also. Um, EVB Sport Shorts, is a they are engineered support garments. Um, made by an Irish female engineer that basically pull the perineum up and the bladder neck up tightly towards the pubic bone and are very useful in um, managing stress incontinence in women who get it during high impact exercise. So very simple, very safe and can be very effective. There are also some other uh, continence products out there that can be useful as well. And what about urgent continence? That's a completely different story and treatment then, isn't it? Absolutely. So urgent continence is a completely different entity. Uh, it's different causation. The problem there is that the nerves to the wall of the bladder, which um, cause the bladder to contract when it needs to empty, those nerves fire at the wrong time and the bladder starts to contract out of the blue when somebody isn't on the toilet, which is not what you want. 
So uh, things very simple, first line treatment, we call it bladder retraining, but it's some women who get urinary incontinence, get into a cycle of going very frequently, thinking that if their bladder is empty, they'll need to, uh, they'll, they'll have less leakage. And so they're go out in the morning, they want to go just before they leave the house and they go when they see a toilet if they're in town or out just so that they don't get caught later. And they get into a cycle of emptying their bladder all the time and that's not a good thing. Your bladder's job is to store urine, it's a storage organ, the more you can hold in it, the better. So getting out of the habit of constantly emptying the bladder is, is sort of the first line. We can look at fluid management because certain fluids, for example, alcohol, fizzy drinks, caffeinated drinks and citrus juices are much more irritant on the bladder. So cutting those out can help symptoms uh, quite a lot. There's a very good, helpful website uh, called OAB.ie, which gives really good information about how to, uh, to, to use conservative treatment like this to improve symptoms. However, if somebody is leaking a lot and and getting urge and not making it to the loo on time, such basic treatments are less likely to work. And then the mainstay in this situation is medication. So there are different tablets, there are different families of drugs out there. They are very useful, they are very safe, and they can be very effective. And most women, you know, trying medication have a good 70 to 80% response rate. But sometimes we not need to uh, try different preparations, and sometimes we need to use combinations of treatments to get the best results. In the event of medication failing, which happens sometimes, then Botox can be used. Uh, so Botox injections into the bladder wall through a camera, and uh, this can be very helpful as well. However, it does require repeat treatments because Botox wears off. So there are plenty of options out there to treat urge incontinence. Thanks. And I think it's really important what you said, because this old uh, tale of uh, mothers telling daughters don't hold on to your urine empty your bladder as soon as you can and it, it's a bad thing and women need to to understand that uh, Suzanne I, another thing that is very close to my heart and I've heard you discussing this before there is a lot of advertising at the moment on pads incontinent pads and all this advertising is led by companies that do produce a pad and while I do feel that this is, is, is good to normalize the fact that we need to talk about incontinence can I ask you how do you feel Feel about this propaganda of telling women is it okay it's okay to use pads look pads are very useful and uh, there's no doubt about it and improving technology in pads is is a good thing uh, but some of these ads i must say i find very offensive and patronizing when we see women sort of giggling about uh, being incontinent as if it's a normal part of womanhood or motherhood i think that that is um really not acceptable because incontinence Chronic incontinence is not a pleasant thing. And women who have incontinence, it doesn't just come and go. It tends to stay that stay there. And it leads to massive psychological impacts with loss of self-esteem, embarrassment, shame, isolation, avoiding activities, changing your lifestyle and what you do around your bladder problems. So I don't like those ads. Um, especially when there's so much that can be done to treat incontinence. Again, some of the controversy has been that because of problems with surgical procedures, there is more fear around seeking help. There's more fear around discussing surgery or, or more invasive treatments. So women are, uh, you know, internationally, uh, as well as in Ireland, choosing to stay incontinent rather than uh, seek help or proceed with surgical options. And, Obviously, no matter what you do, it's your choice. But 
you know, there is really good help out there and there is good advice. And no matter what, you, you know, you will choose what, what you what, what treatment is best for you. So I think that uh, the pad ads are um, not good for women. I think it's important to know that if you get incontinence, it is not your fault. It's not because you didn't do your pelvic exercise, uh, pelvic exercises well enough after you had your baby. It's not your fault. And I think that the narrative needs to change away from, you know, these are nicer looking pads and we have knicker shaped pads and pads with a bit of lace on them to you don't have to suffer this unpleasant symptom you can do things about it there is treatment out there physiotherapy as i say continence devices evb sport shorts expert help through your gp or through referrals to specialist services which are you know in all areas of the country we have really good specialists in this area um, and again for the old age group we know that incontinence in the older population has a massive impact on overall health so if you are an elderly person suffering from incontinence, but well in every other aspect of your health, you have double the chance of being in long-term residential care as somebody who doesn't have incontinence. So this is a huge health problem. Uh, pads are expensive, so it's not as if they're cheap and free. They're not a great alternative. And, um, you know, I think that don't suffer in silence, get treatment, Whilst we can't guarantee to make everybody dry, there's there are very few situations where you cannot be made a lot better. Thanks. I totally agree with you. I, I agree they're very patronizing. And when you think that they're more likely to make you end up in a residential in a nursing home, we really, really have to think about that. So thanks very much, Suzanne. I, I suppose my take-home message would be today for people, if you do have urinary incontinence, you should seek help. Don't be afraid. You don't have to put up with it. You don't have to end up wearing a pad long term. And we really, really want women to 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 come forward with this problem. Would, would you agree with that? I completely agree. And again, I think, you know, years ago when I started in this specialty, women were embarrassed. They didn't come until they were, you know, at the end stage of incontinence. I think that that narrative has changed. Women will discuss it. Um, and again, there's lots that can be done and uh, there is really good expertise out there amongst, you know, as I say, physios, general practice, specialist nurses and in the hospitals in the country. Great. Thanks. And I hope that this was very useful for people. It certainly I thought it was very informative. And thanks very much, Dr. Osama. Thank you, Risha. The FemPlus podcast, FemPlus Clinic the specialized medical service that looks after every aspect of women's health care.